Many churches across the country, really across the world, speak of a phenomenon that they claim to experience in their church called speaking in tongues. Welcome to TW Now. Uh, wonderful to have you here on the program. We are going to talk about this topic today, speaking in tongues. Uh, is it a real phenomenon? Is it actually a miracle of some sort? Is it a, is it a mistake? Are people misunderstanding the scriptures? Uh, what is the origin of this phenomenon? And is it biblical? Uh, again, welcome to the program. My name is Wallace Smith, and I am very pleased to have my two guests to my left. Uh, please help me welcome them. To my far left is Mr. Ken Frank. Uh, he's an instructor at Living University, now Living Education. Mr. Frank, welcome to the program. Thank you. And right between us, we have uh, Mr. Michael D. Simone, a pastor uh, with the church, the Living Church of God, and uh, a frequent person here. So we have you in our clutches again. Good to be here. Thank you. Good to be here. Thank you very much, uh, Mr. Mr. D. Simone. All right, we're going to jump right in. People talk about speaking in tongues as a biblical experience. They claim that it's something that has come out of the Bible. Uh, please help our viewers. I'd like y'all's perspective, your information. Where does this come from? Where in the Bible? Like if I were to ask you, all right, this is something biblical, fine. Show it to me in the Bible. Where do I go in the Bible if I want to have some sense of what speaking in tongues really is? Well, I think the, clearly the first thing is Acts 2. That's the day of Pentecost. Uh, the, in the first century, right after Jesus Christ died, and we have an example of uh, speaking in tongues right there in Acts 2 on the day of Pentecost, uh, 31 AD. Yeah. Okay, and that's actually a good point to bring up with our, uh, with our viewers, because we in the Living Church of God will actually be keeping uh, the day of Pentecost yeah. as one of the holy days listed in Leviticus chapter 23. We'll be doing that this weekend. Right. So That they kept in Acts 2. Which they kept in Acts <laughs> chapter 2. All right, so then describe uh, Acts chapter 2 for us. Mr. Frank, could you, could you walk us through that? Pentecost was one of three pilgrimage feasts, festivals. Uh, we have a graphic we want to show you. We have a map that shows uh, the diaspora Jews as they were scattered all throughout the Eastern Roman Empire. And in Acts 2, written by Luke, uh, this is in the first century of the Common Era, uh, the Jews would travel to Jerusalem for one of three seasons, in the spring, and then in the later spring, early summer, for Pentecost and then again in the autumn. The, perhaps the most traveled time was uh, there for Pentecost because of the road conditions. People came from all over the eastern mm. Mediterranean for worship, to worship at the temple. But Jews came from all over that part of the world for other reasons. They became permanent residents in Jerusalem for retirement, business, uh, for education, like we read of the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts, studying at the feet of Gamaliel. Right. Some were expecting the Messiah to come, and they wanted to be there when he came. <laughs> but the temporary residents came on pilgrimage from all over the Roman world, and they spoke all kinds of different languages and dialects. And that's why this miracle was so important to communicate the gospel to them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think one of the things I like about that map is in Acts chapter 2, you read of all these different countries and where people are coming from, but to actually see it on the map, right. 
That is a lot of travel. I mean, really, there you're packing your all your camels and the rest in the car, you know, and headed towards uh, Jerusalem. It wasn't a car, yes. Most know, Jews were outside the Holy Land. Well, exactly. They were, they were in the diaspora, is what it's called. Right. So people think, well, the Jerusalem's where all the Jews were, uh, but that's really not the case. No. They were every right. place else. Right. And traveling, and I, I never thought about that before about the road conditions being different <coughs> because during the fall you have more potential for rains or other conditions right. versus right here you have spring and summer yeah. and it probably so in that sense what you're saying is actually it was probably a a more traveled feast yeah. uh, to observe. Yeah. Right. And many uh, of these Jews, they they didn't they grew up in these areas. Right. They spoke different languages, and they came to uh, uh, Jerusalem at that time. You know, you know, I never thought about this before. What you just mentioned. Even in the, the Apostle Paul, well, in, in the book of Acts, they talk about the Greek-speaking Jews, mm -hmm. uh, how there was a little bit of difference sure. between, say, right. those that, that spoke Greek and others, and how there was a bit of contention there. And that's growing up in the area. That's actually growing up, you know, in the surrounds, and you still have the sort of Hellenistic. So even within your local space, you have the potential for such divisions, let alone if you're growing up in, uh, out in Parthia, you know, or in Italy, or, or sure. uh, all these different regions. So uh, then continue, Mr. Frank, how, how does that really impact our understanding of, of Greek, chapter 2? Greek was universal language of the Greco-Roman world, but uh, and Jews did speak it, but in the far-flung corners, as we showed on that map, uh, they often spoke their own dialects and languages. And when they came to Jerusalem, because they were so different and they could not agree on a language, they would set up their own synagogues. So within Jerusalem, there were really? multiple synagogues, each using its own dialect or language. So inside Jerusalem, within you'd Jerusalem, have, you'd have different synagogues speaking? Of the permanent residents. Okay, now that's yes. fascinating. Because I know even in, in America and in England, uh, there are different dialects of English so far apart that I know yeah. people who have gone to England for the feast will say, well, you have to be careful who you talk to because some of them are speaking English, but you won't have any idea what they're saying, American. You just won't be able to understand it. So you're saying that it actually impacted the culture in Jerusalem yeah. because people would actually have different synagogues to, so they could actually hear God's Word and teaching and such uh, in their language. That's right. Jews from outside Palestine had a very different culture. That's they had a Hellenistic culture. Mm. And so they didn't always get along with the Jews who were local okay. from the Holy Land. So then speaking in tongues, describe what happened then. What, what is it that happened on that day of Pentecost back in 31, 31 AD? What, what actually was the gift according to Acts chapter 2? So they, they came, I mean, Acts chapter 2, uh, they came, the Holy Spirit was given to them. I mean, it was opened up in a special way on that day, as Christ prophesied that it would be. Right. Um, it says, verse 4, they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Uh, it says, uh, just like Mr. Frank mentioned, uh, there were dwelling in Jerusalem, devout men, uh, but there, they came from... Uh, every nation under heaven it says and it goes on to list all these nations um, when the sound occurred uh, the multitude came together and they were confused but because ever they were saying what's going on everyone heard them in their own language uh, heard them speak in his own language and they were all amazed and marveled uh, saying to one another look uh, aren't these Galileans how can we understand what they're saying? Aren't these uh, Galileans? We, right. we shouldn't be able to understand what they're saying. Right. Yet, how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Okay. They were able to understand and hear yes. in the very language mm -hmm. in which they were born. So that's what's going on in Acts chapter 2. You have all these people from different parts of the world, really quite a spread, and they're hearing the apostles preaching in the language 
of the land they were born, right. the, the language with which they were most familiar. So that's, that's right. what's going on. Instantly. It's a miracle. It was a miracle. That's, it. that's important to stress. This was a miracle. Yeah. The word for languages there in Acts 2 verse 4, or tongues, uh, was used three ways. One way was to refer to the organ of speech, the tongue. So physically the tongue. Physically the tongue. Secondly, uh, language itself, my native tongue is English. And was also used as the broken speech patterns of people in religious ecstasy in Hellenistic religion. Mm. So there is an area we can maybe explore later. Right, so that's where part of the fuzziness comes yeah. in. What is actually going on here? Uh, I know personally part of what I appreciate about Acts chapter 2 is because people look at different verses in the Bible and try to understand, you know, what tongues is, what the gift of, of tongues mm -hmm. is. But it's Acts chapter 2 where you actually see it going on. You yes. see the miracle being given. You see it being acted on. You see it being responded to. You see an event being orchestrated by God. And you see it completely described. Yes. Versus everything else, like the, uh, like the letters of Paul, it's such you're hearing half of a conversation. Right. There's so many pieces to put in place. When really Acts chapter 2 is it, the full description that helps you put some yeah, of those pieces in place. It's a detailed example of exactly right. what speaking in tongues is. Whereas, you know, 1 Corinthians 14 is talking about speaking in tongues. It's right. not a detailed example of what it is. Right. Most of the modern translations of the Bible today in that Acts 2 section use the word languages or native languages for mm. local dialects. Mm. Uh, languages that were unique to a particular people. Okay. And commentaries are almost universal that these were intelligible languages that were spoken mm. in the first century world. Right. Well, it's nice to find out sometimes commentaries are, are all right, you know. Uh, here, that's exactly the picture we see in Acts chapter 2, right? We see uh, languages. Really, then, let me ask you this. Okay, so God gives a gift. God gives gifts for purposes. To me, the answer seems fairly obvious. I want to see, I'll tell you guys if you're wrong. Uh, so then why, why did God give such a gift? So can that gift tell us anything about the purpose of, of giving the gift? Well, hey, we had all these people there in Acts 2, came right. from all these different nations. The church had just been commissioned to preach the gospel of the kingdom of God to the world by Jesus Christ. Right. Here they're in this place. All of these people in front of them, in front of them, a perfect example or time to preach the gospel of the kingdom of God and to do it. You know, everyone needs to understand it, and it needed to be used, right? And it was a fulfillment of a promise. Luke writes a two-volume set. Luke, the Gospel of Luke and Acts, and in both books we find Jesus saying to his disciples, "You stay in Jerusalem until the promise of my Father comes upon you," which is. The coming of the Holy Spirit. Right, right, right. So this miracle was to give evidence that these language languages was evidence that the Holy Spirit had come upon the disciples. And now the gospel could be proclaimed to all these people that right. Jesus had died, was resurrected, and was now in heaven. Right. So that they could hear the truth and take it back home to where uh, their home synagogues were. The ar archaeological biblical review or biblical archaeological review um, just uh, uh, had an interesting comment in it about this saying okay in the time of uh, the Tower of Babel the languages were confused. God caused that to happen. Uh, where here he allowed it in a in a localized way. Temporarily? Uh, yeah, temporarily to be able to communicate to everybody speaking uh, in their own languages. All right. 
So it's, it's clearly gift. It's given for the purpose of communicating a message. That's right. Mm -hmm. That's really Acts chapter 2 makes it yeah. clear. God said, preach this to the world. Sure. And God doesn't ask things of people without actually giving them the ability to do it. And sure. so he actually, in a miraculous way, did so. In a way, that would have, that's why they say, aren't these all Galileans? The least people we would expect to know all of these particular languages and such. All right, then let me transition. So we've described how Acts chapter 2 pictures speaking in tongues, speaking with other languages. But that said, the modern phenomenon that is called speaking in tongues, uh, some of we've experienced it sometimes in, in videos. I saw an interesting video of a couple of preachers claiming to talk to each other and speaking in tongues. Uh, I've actually experienced personally someone uh, speaking in tongues. It doesn't sound like what you're describing from Acts chapter 2. Help, help us by contrasting that, the modern phenomenon and what we hear about speaking in tongues from the Bible. What are the differences? Well, the, the modern thing, it started um, kind of really in the early 1900s or the Church of God out of Cleveland, Tennessee, which is different than the Living Church of God. Um, it uh, says it started like in the late 1800s, I think, uh, in terms of this uh, ability to, uh, quote, speak in tongues. Right. Um, of course, it is much different in that it's uh, it's gibberish. It's an unintelligible, unintelligible language. Uh, it's not understood. It's not understood by those doing it or performing it uh, at all. Okay. Yeah, we have different terms for these. Glossolalia are these ecstatic utterances of uttering unintelligible language-like sounds while in a state of ecstasy. But there's a similar word, xenoglossia, which is the ability to speak fluently a language the speaker has never learned. Hmm. And that's what's happening here in Acts 2. Okay. It was xenoglossia. Different than what is happening They had in, never in the learned modern. that language. That's right. Okay, so yeah. these are the big words that you're attaching to. The big things. words. So uh, the first one you said was what? What was that first big word? Glossolalia. Okay, so that and what is that? What is that? That is what to? is we experience today with the common tongues movement, speaking in tongues. Okay, and what was the description that you gave? It was um, uttering of unintelligible language-like sounds while in a state of ecstasy. Okay, versus... Xenoglossia, was the that Xenoglossia, it? the ability to speak fluently, a language the speaker has never learned. Okay, so between those two, Acts chapter 2 clearly sounds like the second one. That's right. They're speaking in this language pristinely that the people from those regions are able to understand. That's right. All right, so, so that's how you would compare the two. Mm -hmm. um, okay, that said... What other differences are there? Because you actually talk about ecstatic. That's also kind of a fancy word. And we like, we like things simple. Uh, <laughs> what other characteristics do we see associated with the modern tongues movement or phenomenon uh, uh, that perhaps the Bible might be at odds with? Well, one is that a person is not in control of their mind or they're not in control of what's coming out of their mouth at that point. Now, see, I've actually heard people that claim that is part of the proof, right? That right. that's a miracle. Right. So, well, see, right. I'm not in control. There's, there's something else doing all yeah, this. Yeah, except there are problems with that. One of the fruits of God's Holy Spirit is self-control. You know, having control over yourself, not allowing yourself, your, your mind to go blank and, and allowing whatever to flow through it. Right. Uh, you know, we, we need to be, we need to test the spirits. Right. That's an irony. If, if Galatians 5 says one of the fruit of God's spirit is self-control, 
and yet you're claiming as evidence you have God's Spirit being in a state of lack of control. Right. That is, uh, there's something there that, that actually it's isn't dangerous. Clicking. Yeah. Right. I, I want to get your comments, Mr. Frank, but before I do, let me uh, uh, talk to our audience real quickly and say if you have any questions, we do see some questions starting to come in from the internet. Please, by all means, let us know. Also, if we say anything that you've never heard before, I think I earlier uh, the, the control room caught it. I referred to the feast, and a lot of people don't understand what I'm talking about. If you look in Leviticus 23, there are several holy days, and among them, we actually try to keep all of those, just like Jesus Christ did. Uh, one of them called the Feast of Tabernacles, and there's a Passover and the, uh, the Days of Unleavened Bread. And this phenomenon is so often associated with the day of Pentecost. Pentecost. Right. So if you have questions, please do let us know and put them right there in the comments section, uh, as well as if you're appreciating what you're hearing, uh, then by all means, share it with others uh, and let us know in some kind of way. Let us know that you appreciate uh, programming like this that we do. Uh, Mr. Franks, what, Mr. Frank, what, what are your thoughts on the, the difference between the modern phenomenon and the other things associated with it versus what we see as biblical speaking in other languages? That's right. Well, it came suddenly for one thing. It was not worked up by people's emotions getting into an ecstatic state. Uh, we have no apostles falling on the floor under the power. Um, rather, we have uh, the mighty wind filling the house and uh, it, something that looked like uh, tongues of fire that sat over them. So it was a miraculous mm -hmm. sign of a, of a nature. And in this section, we have no command that every Christian must experience this to be a true believer. Mm -hmm. It was a unique experience because of the Jews who were there from all over the Roman world at that time. You know, that's actually something that I find interesting because I have heard some claim that unless, you, unless you're speaking in this kind of ecstatic speech, right. then you have not truly, you don't actually have right. God's spirit. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you do look at what Paul says when he's talking to those in Corinth, he actually assumes that many of them aren't speaking, that are actual believers in Jesus right. Christ and are, are, are people who have God's Spirit. He goes, do all have the gift of healings? Do all have this gift of languages? The rhetorical answer is no. Mm -hmm. uh, no, not all of them do. So even biblically, you cannot argue that it's required right. of every person. It's just, it's just not there. Mm -hmm. uh, we do have actually a question from the, uh, uh, the internet that I know, Mr. Frank, you've talked about because we, we talked about it uh, earlier. The question is that, well, actually it says, can you explain the difference between subsequent manifestations of the gift uh, that Paul addresses and the day of Pentecost in which it, the, the questioner asked, this was a miracle of hearing. Uh, they're claiming that this was a miracle of hearing on the day of Pentecost. Is that the case? Are we looking at two different things because on the day of Pentecost, somehow it was actually a miracle in the ears of these people and not actually in the mouths of the apostles. Could, could you address that, Mr. Frank? Yes, I, I have looked in, into this and I've come across a number of sources. I have an article here by Ben Witherington III from Biblical Archaeology Review, and he makes the point that uh, the Greek grammar is against the idea of being a miracle of hear hearing. Rather, the phrase in their native language modifies the verb speaking in verse 6, not the verb hearing. So it was one-sided. It had to do with the gift of speaking. Mm -hmm. Okay, so it really was actually then, according to the Greek, uh, and that's according right. to this article and that research, it was actually a gift in the speaking. That's right. Uh, which really, that's is this what you see, and maybe perhaps some take that from the people who are listening who say, "Oh, how are we hearing all of this?" But honest, if if 
if Mr. DeSimone said something ridiculous and foolish, which would never happen, Mr. DeSimone, <laughs> I can't imagine, um, then I can say, you know, am I hearing you right? I'm not actually commenting on right. what's going on with my hearing. Right, right. I'm commenting on, you know, is that what you're saying? Yeah. So, yeah, if I heard something wonderful, I would say, what is this I'm hearing? Uh, so maybe some are misinterpreting that. Are, I actually know some who want to distinguish between Acts 2 and other discussions of the gift because of the implications of Acts right, chapter 2. Right. Acts chapter 2 so really clear. does describe the gift in amazing detail, right. in a detail that I don't think everyone necessarily wants because mm -hmm. they want that valid, they want that validation. Right. Which actually, I'll go ahead and turn that, turn that to you guys. There are those I have heard, we're talking about the modern manifestation, who will say, look, I know this is real. Some of you actually watching may have thought, I know this is real because I have experienced it. Mm. And because I have experienced it, you can't tell me it isn't real. Um, can we trust experiences like that? Is that really sufficient validation for an actual miraculous gift? You know, if if spirit if the spirit world is real, um, that means we need to be careful and watch out for what happens. And just because anything happens to us, just because just because something happens to us, doesn't mean it's good. Doesn't mean it comes from God. Hmm. We may feel that way. We may think that way in our own mind. Right. But uh, the question is, uh, does it fall in line with the Word of God? Uh, you know, you think about let's. Okay, we're talking about uh, speaking in tongues. Does the speaking in tongues that happens in Pentecostal churches and so forth, right. does that fall in line with what it shows in the detailed example in the book of Acts? Right. And it, it doesn't. Um, you have to test the spirits. We have to test the spirits and make sure that it's coming from God. Because it feels good doesn't mean it's coming from God. Right. Okay, any comments, Mr. Frank? Yeah, that verse that Mike was quoting was from 1 John 4, 1, mm -hmm. okay. in which John writes, Do not believe every spirit, right. but test the spirits whether they are of God. Mm -hmm. So God's Word actually tells you, don't just yes. believe right. every right. spirit. Uh, that's fascinating because, and really, because some would ask, well, does this mean that, that this modern phenomenon is always demonic, or is it just something kind of conjured up like our own heart, sort of Jeremiah 17, 9, says the heart is deceitful above all things. Uh, really, it's kind of irrelevant because I find even my own, if you will, thoughts I have to test. My mm -hmm. own, sure. I mean, it's not just always necessarily inspired by a demon, just because something makes sense to me. No. Can, I, can I test it by God's word to see if it's, to see if it's true? Okay, now that said, we've talked about how it, it may not be a miraculous manifestation, the modern, the modern experience of speaking in tongues that we're talking about, the modern phenomenon, if you will. But that said, what does it tie to then? Because uh, we've talked about that a little before in terms of uh, our discussions leading up to this program. What other, where else could we go to see something similar in the past or the present of this modern phenomenon? We don't, we don't find it in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 doesn't sound anything like this according to y'all's description. So where could we find some similar phenomenon? Glossolalia predates Christianity by centuries or even millennia. Hmm. Uh, it was one means for the priest to communicate with the gods. So it was practiced by various pagan religions. The Eastern mystery religion spread westward into the Hellenistic world just before Christianity. So the world in which Paul interacted and preached have been influenced by this pagan influence uh, involving this uh, experience. And he had a church established in Corinth. Not far away from Corinth was the Delphic Oracle, uh, which was the shrine to Apollo. 
It was near Corinth, and the priestess of Apollo had these ecstatic utterances. She came under the possession of the God. Hmm. And it, the Bible was written down, hmm. and then it was later interpreted by the priests of that particular temple. Right. So when Paul is dealing with the Corinthian church, and he's, he finds some abuses of this gift, so-called, uh, they may have been, these brethren may, or church people, may have been influenced by what was just down the road. I mean, they, they came out of the Hellenistic culture. Right. They would at least be aware of what was yeah. happening. There. Yeah. Well, yeah, was, I mean, we're aware of it through centuries past, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, sure. I mean, it's a, it's yeah. a pretty famous uh, piece of history. All the more those who were just living from miles away, they would have actually mm -hmm. talked. So I can see that being a real challenge if I were a part of that culture, you know, that I would think, well, this is something else. This is just sort of the... Uh, the real thing, so right. to speak. Yeah. What about any modern manifestations? Because you, you actually mentioned some of these the other day, and it caught me off guard because I actually haven't, haven't heard of, of some of these. In 1901, a lady named Agnes Osmond had this experience in Topeka, Kansas. Mm -hmm. But what really began the Pentecostal movement was 1906, when William Seymour had an uh, evangelistic ministry in Los Angeles that was the Azusa Street Revival. And this impelled the modern Pentecostal movement. And it spread rapidly across the country. And the movement is growing rapidly in other parts of the world today, especially in Latin America, China, and elsewhere. And it has gone across denominational lines into among Episcopalians and Methodists and Lutherans, even Catholics have a charismatic or Pentecostal element in their congregations today. Huh, okay, it's interesting. So you could walk into some of those and essentially be experiencing what you thought is a, what might seem at first yeah. like a, a Pentecostal uh, yeah. service when actually it's, it's not in any way even labeled uh, as something Christian right. necessarily. Yeah. Oh, that's fascinating. We do have one question I think uh, we, can, we can tackle. We discussed this. Uh, someone actually asked, uh, what are the tongues of angels? Uh, and I think we can, it's interesting because this often comes up. I don't know if in y'all's experience, we've, we've chatted. But people often claim, well, you can't understand what we're doing because what we're doing in our church is the tongues of angels. And so you can't understand it because, you know, you're not an angel. It's an angelic language. I think, actually, I like to simply highlight that regardless of whether it is, all the instructions are really clear about right. what you're supposed to be doing with a gift of tongues. I do notice that it's easy to claim that because it can't be verified. I don't know if you guys have ever met an angel on the street who said, hi, I'm an angel. So, oh, great. Can you listen to this guy and see right. if he makes any sense to you? Uh, German, you can check. Italian, you can check. So why is it in Acts chapter 2, it's a verifiable miracle to the world, to those who are listening, but yet the phenomenon we see there uh, is not. So to me, the question of you know, whether or not some of this is a, it, the tongue of angels is actually irrelevant. It doesn't actually impact uh, the question in terms of whether or not the modern phenomenon truly is the miracle. Right. The example in Acts 2 is languages. It is languages that humans speak. Um, right. He mentioned several times in there, right? Uh, I mean, the Apostle right. Paul refers rather in his it, letter. In 1 Corinthians 14, he talks about uh, uh, there are, there are, it may be, so many kinds of languages in the world, and none of them is without uh, significance. He's talking about languages in the world. That's what's being right. talked about. Yeah, there, I think there's ways to the, the, that particular verse where he says, though I speak in tongues of men or of angels, mm -hmm. there's, there's multiple ways to understand right. that, neither of which justify seeing the gift in a, in a manner non-consistent with Acts chapter 2. Either one, he's simply exaggerating, saying, look, even if I spoke in God's own language, right. I, I shouldn't be doing it like you guys are trying to do, or 
If he says, well, you know, yeah, I've done that before, but that's not what you guys are doing. You know, one or the other, uh, it doesn't make sense to justify the modern phenomenon with that. There's just really no, no justification The verse you may be referring to is 1 Corinthians 13, 1, where Paul writes, if I speak mm -hmm. in tongues of angels and have not love, I'm a clanging cymbal. Mm -hmm. right. It was hypothetical. Mm -hmm. Right. If, that little word if is so important in and that whole statement. That's right. First yeah. Corinthians give, uh, 14 gives guidelines for yeah. how this gift should yeah. be used. Right. Uh, again, it's referring to languages of the world, as Paul specifically talks about. It should be done, it's done as a sign for unbelievers. So, you know, why is it done in these churches where uh, there are a bunch of believers all around? It should be okay. done for understanding. Right. It talks about in First Corinthians 14. 14, and and as it as many of them say, they do it. They don't know what they're saying when they're doing it. Now that's one of the fascinating things I think about that because I, I've read that uh, I read this justification that someone was speaking tongues outside of their their Pentecostal church. And uh, a Pentecostal individual of that particular denomination was saying, oh, that person was making a mistake. We highly regulate mm. doing any of this to people not in the church. It's really within the church that we do all of this. But that is the exact opposite, opposite. of what Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians uh, 14, as well as the picture of Acts 2, which was it was a gift to spread the message. That's it right. was not a gift meant That's to right. edify the individual or, or internally, which is uh, fascinating. I do want to get to something I think very important here at the end. Because many people will claim that this is the sign of having the Spirit. In fact, some of our viewers may have been told, you don't have the Spirit unless you've actually experienced this. If, if, if it's not this ecstatic sort of speech, then what is, how do we know? How does a person know whether or not they actually have God's Spirit? And I should say, we have an article on this that we have a, we, if we either have a link to up or we'll make sure it's available in our comments and such, uh, is by evangelist John H. Aguin, uh, titled Charismatic Revival. I think that was the title, right? And he actually discusses several of the things that we've brought up even on the program. But then how does a person know? How does a person know that they actually do have God's Spirit, or don't. God's Spirit is a spirit of a sound mind, it says in Second uh, Timothy. Sound mind. And, you know, the fruits of God's Holy Spirit, talked about in Galatians 5. Uh, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Uh, these are fruits. These are, this comes from living a way of life, living God's way of life. All right. In the very chapter we're talking about, Acts 2, we have the sermon by Peter mm -hmm. in which the brethren, the Jews, after hearing what they had done to Jesus, said, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And he gave them instructions. He said, Repent and be baptized to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then three chapters later in the same book, we have this, that the Holy Spirit is given to those who obey God. Right. Right. That's what repentance means. You stop sinning and you start obeying God. Right, because repentance is one of those sort of religious-y words. You either yeah. hear it in context of something you're not a part of or you hear it in jokes. I've heard the word repent, like repaint and thin no more. Anyone heard that joke? This <laughs> is actually a pretty good one. Um, but what you're saying, you're making it very plain. Those who actually change their way of mm -hmm. life, begin obeying God yeah. instead of not obeying God. We're going uh, our way. It's right. a change to go God's way. That's right. The right. way so that, reflected in this book. All right, then, because what, what you see in some of these is where someone sort of works up the Spirit. They say, well, you don't have to work it up. But really, I do see a lot of that mm -hmm. in terms of how this is done, where people work themselves or are worked by others into an ecstatic frenzy. 
if that's not how we gain God's Spirit, how does a person, how does a person who doesn't have God's Spirit actually, actually come to have it? Of course, you know, you just mentioned Acts 2, the, the baptism, um, being put underwater, full immersion baptism, and being brought back up. It represents, uh, you know, our, the death of our old way of life and uh, the burial of that way of life and rising up. Um, and then uh, having hands laid on us afterwards uh, by, you know, ministers of, uh, of God and hands laid on, and that, through prayer, gives the Holy Spirit. God gives His Holy Spirit. All right, so the biblical baptism. That's right. Uh, and the laying the, on the of example, hands by... Where does that come from? It's all from God's Word. The book of Acts in particular. So That's right. Yeah, it's a process in which a person becomes aware of what God has to say and decides, I'm not living that way. Mm -hmm. I need to change my life because that's what the word repent means, mm -hmm. to change your mind and change your behavior. And they come and... Uh, beg for mercy and wish to have their life sins washed away symbolically in the waters of baptism. And then the minister lays hands on them as described in the book of Acts again and to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And it comes upon them granting them the fruit of the Spirit including self-control. Right. Alright, so uh, let me head us in that direction from what I hear you saying. So going through actual biblical baptism, you know, having right. hands laid on by an actual minister who, who truly does represent Jesus Christ because you've repented of your sins, you're actually seeking His way and not your own any longer, and then you're given God's Spirit. Then if the gift of that Spirit, if having that Spirit doesn't give me these sort of supernatural, you know, uh, glossalia, you know, there's this sort of phenomenon, then what is the benefit? I know you've already touched on it, but I want to make it sure it's, it's, it's solid. I want to make sure I'm clear and make sure our, our viewers are clear. Then what is the benefit of that? If it's not to give me superpowers, if you will, uh, then really what is the benefit of having God's Spirit versus whatever I have with myself right now? God's Spirit gives strength to overcome and to grow in obedience to God's, the, the Ten Commandments and God's way of life overall. Without His Holy Spirit, we cannot do it by ourselves. Uh, and there, there's, you know, Romans 8, uh, verse uh, 6, For to be carnally, carnally minded is death, and to be spiritually minded is life and peace. When it's talking about spiritually minded, it is the Spirit of God and a way of life that, that's to be lived. Peter calls it the divine nature. Mm -hmm. And in the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit coming upon a person gives them power. It's called power. And it changes their whole life. Now they're in touch with God. They can communicate with God. God has a presence in that person. Jesus explains in the Gospel according to John that He and the Father would come and dwell in that person by the Holy Spirit that would transform the person from within. So that now God's ways are written on a conscience, not just written on tablets of stone. And 1 Corinthians 2 talks about, you mentioned the divine nature. Who can know the things of God except the Spirit of God? Exactly. You know, it comes from God's Spirit. It, it, he, he gives that. He gives that understanding and helps us to understand the things of God. All right. So really, in a sense, it is superpower uh, to a it certain is. extent. It's not the superpower to, to talk in a bunch of uh, uh, unintelligible words, mm -hmm. but really the superpower that gives us a changed life 
in such a way that we're encouraged by God, we're strengthened by God, and we have additional strength to overcome those things that are difficult, those things that stand in the way uh, of growing a mind that is far more like God's mm -hmm. instead of the one we've had. The, the transformation. Rest of our life. Yeah. All right. That Paul oh. speaks of in Romans, using a word that talks about a metamorphosis. Uh, all right. You know, yeah. we had it, we're about to wrap up, and we had one more comment on Facebook I thought was fascinating. Someone pointed, I'm going to. A uh, person wrote, Stephen Spence, just wrote that uh, really, in a sense, God gave the uh, gift of tongue to the donkey in Numbers. And he didn't speak gibberish. He spoke very plainly. <laughs> That's you know, right. I thought it was a very, very nice observation. Uh, we hope you've enjoyed our program today and have benefited from it. Uh, uh, Mr. Frank, Mr. DeSimone, thank you very much for Good being to be here. here. And, thank and you. And thank explaining you. this topic for all the rest of us. Uh, thank you for watching. Again, if, if you appreciated this, whether you agree or disagree, we actually do want to hear from you. Uh, please do share with others who you feel may benefit from this. Uh, and be sure to check us again next week, Thursday, at this time. Thank you very much and have a great week.